you can uh, contemplate what you, how you practiced today, what is the result. To note if the, the tensions or you feel you're getting relaxed, you feel at ease or you feel more nervous, dull, uncertain, doubtful. Then you can review, well, what have you, what have you done today? What is it that you're attached to? What, are you, what view, what opinion are you holding on to? Or what assumptions are you making? There's always a, the dukkha is a sign for us in our practice to, so if we're suffering about something, it's because of attachment. Not to, and then we investigate what, what are we attached to? Where is the clinging? The right view, right view amounts to the the realization that all that's subject to rising is subject to ceasing. And whatever is a subject whatever is subject to rising is subject to ceasing is not self. So then avicca bhajaya sankara is always the result of attachment from not having this right view, not remembering the right view. We get caught in our latent tendencies, our assumptions, the habit formations. And so we get caught in doubts and worries and, and compulsiveness, obsessions of the mind, uh, dullness and torporousness. Restlessness. And then we we either try to we we think we shouldn't be this way or we should get rid of it or we begin to make a problem or create something. We add something to it. Now the the Buddhist uh realization of Dhamma is this this word and, and this refuge of Dhamma. There's no self, there's Dhamma. And this is, this is quite a profound statement. In the, if there's self, then, there's, then we don't see the Dhamma anymore. We're, we've created a false world based on uh, an assumption of a self, of a separate self. So then we don't see the Dhamma, because the Dhamma... Uh, is, if we see Dhamma, then there's no self. The assumption of a separate self comes from the grasping of the five khandhas, or just the, the way you, what you think you are, what you believe, the opinions you're grasping, the, the views you have about yourself and others, about what you should and shouldn't be in. The, the whole range of opinions and views coming from that appearance of separation as a as an individual being, a personality. During this retreat, the uh, the attitude of being at ease with yourself. And of, of uh, not trying to attain or achieve, not trying to become anything, but to notice those tendencies. Because just the idea of retreat, two months retreat, uh, 
uh, and the whole that whole way of thinking creates this this uh, perception that there's something we have to do. Me as a person having to do something to become something. This becoming process, always looking forward to something in the future, aiming at some goal, something more to do. There's something I have to realize yet. Something I have to do yet. I'm just a coarse, crude person. I'm too, too many problems. I'm not. I, I, I have to get rid of these problems first in order to become. That's how our thinking mind operates. Or if you think I'm someone who is perfect and doesn't have to do anything, it's uh, another one. I don't have to become anything because I'm perfect. But I don't think anyone here generally aligns uh, themselves with that one. You probably wouldn't be a Buddhist monk or nun if you thought like that. Probably you'd be Prime Minister of Britain. I notice the, the 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 sequence of from just the very general say avicca not knowing, and avicca is is not knowing the four noble truths and their three aspects. Four stages. So it's it's uh, that means that you that uh, when there's when you understand the Four Noble Truths, then there is right view, which amounts to all that is subject to rising is subject to ceasing and is not self. But avicca is like ignorance, is, is a kind of an amorphous, hazy thing. There's always a hesitant uncertainty, habitual tendencies, uh, of of life, just a force of habit, assumptions coming from that, from not uh, having right view, right understanding of things, and then flowing from that is this kind of mass of uh, potential mass of sankhara that can manifest through the consciousness, through the nama rupa. Uh, through the senses, when they contact an object, and the whole process is is one that just go, takes you to grief, sorrow, despair, anguish, old age, sickness, and death. Now, when we when we chant the the other side, when we say when when then when there's when ignorance ceases, then sankara ceases, and when sankara ceases, vijnana ceases. This is the cessation or the niroda of suffering. Because then that which arises ceases and is not self, so that that's the natural cessation of what arises. You, there's the knowing of cessation it doesn't mean that your rupa suddenly dissolves or that you no longer have any consciousness. It means that any, any ignorance and attachment and misunderstanding about them ceases. That there's, there's no more that, that, that what it, when the body having been born, then it lives its lifetime, it dies, that's the cessation of the body. That's not a person, that's not a self. The idea of I'm going to die because you, 
conventionally you might use that word, you might talk about it in that way, but when there's right understanding, then you realize that you're not, that you're not going to die. Body dies. Bodies die. Bodies cease. Consciousness arises and ceases all the time. Mental formations and and uh, arise and cease. They're all dependent and arise according to conditions. And then what arises ceases. So the whole mass of suffering ceases in the moment. There's no there's no suffering. In other words. There's no, there's no need to suffer if you see things as they are, when you realize Dhamma. Cessation uh, is, is easily mistaken for annihilation. So the, 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 the dualistic tendency of the mind to, to think if, if, if I no longer exist, then I'm then, then they, if the self doesn't exist, then there's, there's nothing, a kind of opposite annihilation. But this is where you, as, as you are mindful and investigate and realize cessation, you realize that whatever ceases, there's still awareness. There's still the knowing. They, there's still the intelligence, the knowing. In awareness and knowing, there's, there's room for everything. And, and the conditioned realm arises and ceases according to conditions, but it's no longer, according to other conditions, but it, it's no longer, uh, it causes any form of delusion. We're no longer imagining it to be anything other than knowing it for what it is. And that is a, a, a kind of a, what we call perfection, because things are what they are. There's something truly marvelous and perfect about it, that, that things can be completely and utterly and fully what they are, but they're not permanent. All things are impermanent. So beauty, when we, when we are conscious of beauty, beauty is completely what it is. It's beautiful, and ugliness is 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 that way. Things are what they are, and they're impermanent. So with beauty, we we don't we no longer need to grasp, and try to hold on, or with ugliness, do we need to reject or get rid of? because we know that, that these are only what they are in the moment. They're not permanent. They're not mine. They are what they are. With a mind freed from delusion, then that mind is a mind that can, has, has infinite power and receptivity to the mystery. This, this human existence is, is a very limited form, so, so that being human and incarcerated in a human body for a lifetime is, it gives us a certain perspective only. And so it's, it's, uh, we, we recognize that the mystery of the universe in its, in its macrocosmic proportions, is mind-boggling to a human being. It's just very hard to imagine, I mean, even with the greatest science, science fiction writers, to imagine the, just the, the, uh, the dimensions of our universal system. You get into so many knots that, I mean, it just becomes, it's meaningless, because... The human mind isn't isn't such a mind that it can really comprehend that that vastness. We have to contain things a little more, and that's where the Buddha, rather than pointing to the 
the quadrillion varieties out of compassion for us summed up the whole world, the conditioned realm, in the five khandhas. Five is a number we can handle, isn't it? That's that we we have no trouble with. We have five fingers. We start out one, two, three, four, five. When we were little children. But a quadrillion quadrillion fingers, imagine what that would do to your mind. You'd start counting and then you'd keep losing yourself and have to start over again. <laughs> It's just too much recognizing our limitations as humans to, to understand multiplicity is quite limited and infinite variety. But by, but by uh, investigating the way things are within the, the restraint, restriction, limitation of our humanity, then we, we have an insight into that ultimate reality. And it's an insight, and it's an it's a, a realization. But because of the limitation of our human karma, we we ha- we can't talk about it. There's no words for that. There's no way to describe. We have not the language or the vocabulary or anything that we can use as a, for in order to describe it. But we can intuit, can't we? Sense it in a way. So the being human is humbling, isn't it? It's a, it's, a, it's a humbling experience. You can't really, if you really investigate Dhamma as a human being, you can't really take yourself as being a kind of terribly important uh, superman or superwoman. And you have to be really ignorant to be arrogant. So, I mean, if you think, you know, somebody says, I'm God, I'm the Messiah, or I'm the Maitreya, or something, this is, uh, this is, uh, somebody's, uh, has, has, um, coming from Avicca Bhajaya Sankara, has created an enormous illusion. That's why even even uh, uh, forms of conceit, like I have a mission to accomplish in life, or or I have I'm a special agent of divine forces, or I'm a specially chosen person, or I am uh, anything anything on that level. I have my path, and I must uh, do something. All of these are to be investigated as what arises ceases. Uh, the humbly, the humble, the humility of not being anybody, not being anything special, anyone special. Because as soon as you conceive yourself as someone who's special and someone who's who a special agent of God or whatever, you're into the realm of madness. Because all we can really do as human beings is to is to let go of any of that kind of thinking in its in in its mad forms or or even in its socially acceptable forms. Or even to think of yourself as I'm nobody important, I'm just an ordinary person Joe Blow, no importance, no significance, anything. I can't imagine that God would want me to do anything, really. That's still self, isn't it? That's still a sense of I'm nobody or I'm somebody. Well, being human doesn't mean that... is not to be grasped as a personal achievement, but it is 
uh, what this this being human is this way being is to is a, to be reflected on what it is to be human is like this. And to know the limitations is humbling for us because uh, we would like to be much better than, I mean, human uh, tendencies toward longing for the, the, what's, what's the best, for the divine, for, for the refined, for the very best of everything. Our longing and aspiration desire for the best sometimes makes us quite... Uh, uh, discontented and contemptuous of the limitations of our human condition. So in in meditation, we we need to know and accept these limitations as as being human, not in a kind of blind resignation, a kind of negative fatalism, but as a just so that there's wisdom to know what what the limits you you are under, because that's. It's wise to know what it is, uh, wh- how far you can go, because if you don't know that, you, you'll try to go someplace that you can't. You'll only fail. You'll only be dis- terribly disappointed and deluded by it. The wonderful thing is that you can touch or get in tune with ultimate, with the ultimate truth. For the absolute, and that's through mindfulness. The way is uh, apamado amatapadang, through the, through not being heedless, through mindfulness, you you realize the amatapadang, the deathless realm, deathless way. Now, in a daily practice, whatever to to have right understanding, and I've been pointing out, is it's not that you 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 learn to trust in looking directly at the way things are. So, whatever thoughts you have, or views you have about yourself and others, you're you're looking at them as what arises ceases, rather than judging them in according to whether how good or bad they might be. We we determine to do the good and refrain from doing bad. We determine to speak the good rather than speak the bad. But the good and bad arise and cease. And it's not self and any what you think you are, any view, any any opinion you have, or whatever you think in any way about yourself or anyone else, that is the that arises and ceases. By that reflection doesn't mean that you're dismissing your thoughts and and and, and just trying to to not think anything, but you are standing back and observing the nature of thought rather than just uh, following it and clinging to it. If you notice that I always try to be very careful not to put into your minds any suggestions about what you are, other than that you're not the five khandhas. <laughs> I don't. I don't like to go along with. I mean, even this. Uh, even though we have a little amusing times with astro- uh, astrology talk, say. Well, he's a Scorpio, you know what they're like. <laughs> and and uh, she's a Libra, and 
they can't even make up their minds up and things like these are just they're just playing around. Don't take even that seriously. <laughs> because if you if you identify with your astrological signs and the descriptions in the books and then and then it's a kind of blind clinging because that, those limitations, uh, those kind of things are for reflection, but not to be identified with. Hmm. Or what other people say about you, or what fortune tellers or clairvoyants say, whatever this is, whatever, you know, one might find all this, this realm quite interesting, because we, we, we like to know about ourselves, We'd like to, you know, go to a, a gypsy fortune teller and have her look through a crystal ball and tell us about what will happen to us in the future, or to have our birth chart prepared by the experts. But the real meditator will see all of that as desire to know something, to become something, to just the, the concern we have with our with our life and the future of it. But that can be seen as whatever is subject to arising is subject to ceasing also. To always put it in its proper perspective rather than be carried away, pulled along into, uh, into a, a realm of self-concern as a personality, as somebody who has to become something or do something or or something will happen to you in the future. The the Pachubananama always bringing attention to the to the moment here and now, to the to the way it is, rather than pre- contemplating predicting the future possibilities of me becoming something in the future, something happening to me. Things might happen to me too in the future. Might. Who knows? So that the gypsy fortune teller predicted something and it might actually happen. But it's not doesn't matter whether it happens or doesn't happen because that's not self and and we're not we're no longer trying to raise those kind of things up as being important to us because they only tend to to delude rather than to enlighten us because our true nature is here and now and deathless and is not becoming anything so whatever becomes of our bodies and happens to these forms during their lifetime is is just the way things are just as it is in the moment rather than me this person who has to do something or be, something will happen to me in the future one thing we all know we're all going to die All the bodies here in a hundred years will be dead, won't they? Who was? Whether, whether, whether this building will be here, probably not. Not one of those buildings that lasts for a hundred years. wonder what would be here a hundred years from now. My father's copper beech tree might be a big tree in a hundred years. But I won't be around to see it. And nobody will probably even remember that it's my father's tree. You all forget, we've all forgotten where it is, I'm sure. Already. We only planted it a few months ago. <laughs> And yet our worlds can be so fraught with our own self-importance, isn't it? Just here and now, and my destiny, my life, my mission, my this, 
we can be sitting here filled with our with our self-importance and our in our own kind of concern and views, just fraught with emotion and, and overwhelmed with anguish and despair or worry or anxiety. I remember having an insight when I was a young university student. I had, was having a, I had a, a an unfortunate and unhappy uh, what they call love affair and other relationships. I don't think people have the love affairs anymore, but this was what in the 50s and we didn't have relationships then, we had love affairs. This one, this love affair, like so most of them, <laughs> Anyway, it didn't, uh, it went off. <laughs> and, uh, and I was thinking about committing suicide. Uh, I'm walking on the street at night and it's the kind of main highway in Seattle and thinking, why don't you just throw yourself, here comes these, these, big, these big lorries, just throw yourself as the as lorry comes near, just run in front of it and it'll run you over and you'll be dead. It was a very tempting thought because I was feeling very sorry for myself. I thought life was, was not worth living. And then I had an insight. Suddenly it occurred to me, but a year from now, this won't make any difference, will it? <laughs> and if I just patient, a year from now, I mean, it'll pass. So I didn't throw myself in front of the lorry. And just the thinking that 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 moment, one is is uh, is. Uh, so caught up in one's own world of, of uh, and one one's self-importance and one's pride and one's life can be so so uh, fraught with emotion of all kinds, either elation or depression or whatever. But then we realize that in a year's time, and it was right a year later, it didn't nothing. <laughs> a year later, I didn't have any feel any, feel sorry for myself anymore, and the whole thing had been was uh, probably was having another love affair with somebody else. <laughs> so the the uh, these things, uh, and yet at the time when I wanted to throw myself under the wheels of the lorry, that was it was a real sense of total uh, despair and life was not worth living because at that moment it really looked that way. It really looked like life was not worth living and I'd be better off dead. That's how it looked. But fortunately there was something in me that said it won't, it won't be like this in a year's time. You'll be, you'll be Forget it, be forgotten. Now, as we let go of this of this self and the, and see through it, see through the illusions that we create out of avicca and desire and attachment and becoming. And then birth, isn't it? And this this jati is a kind of birth into something. What you become, becoming is like you're becoming something, and then you achieve what you what you are aiming at, what you desire, and that's birth. You've become that, and you've been born as that. You've you 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 have it, in other words, but. That 
birth conditions, old age, sickness, and death, or grief, sorrow, despair, and anguish. So that that whatever we get, even what we want to become something, and we we have that kind of momentum and dedication to achievement through ambition and desire, we attain it, then we're born only to die. So that this 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 is a as a as an end in itself. I mean, we we can be kind of enthusiastic and and interested and fascinated in the becoming stage when you have dana ubadana bhava. That life can be quite interesting when you're when you're ambitious and you're aiming to get somewhere and become something. But then when you get get it, and then that birth, after a while it just beca- you realize all you're doing is, is getting old and you're going to die, or you're going to get bored and disappointed with, uh, with, with uh, what you've become. You become a success or become whatever, that that a whole illusion will take you to sorrow, grief, despair, anguish. So even even becoming successful, becoming happy, becoming uh, important, becoming famous, becoming whatever, will always uh, you be born when you when you are born into that. You're born into fame or fortune, then it will, you also experience the despair and the anguish and the grief and the sorrow, the boredom and all that go along, that is the result of that, that kind of birth. So that's why in the, in the world, they, on the world, there's no, there's no refuge in the world at all. There's nothing in the world that that you can uh, that would be a satisfactory refuge in any way, and yet modern society keeps trying to find or 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 promote refuges, material refuges or all kinds of of things for us to grasp in the world, and yet the world itself can only take us to despair if we grasp, if we become worldlings, if we become and are born into the world. Now the world in this sense, as I've many times uh, described it, is the world one creates out of ignorance. When you don't create a world out of ignorance, then there's Dhamma. For example, I was uh, walking in the afternoon when during the, when the rain. Now, when they, today was a very nice day because it wasn't cold. Had this nice rain, gentle rain falling, and had a nice rain coat on and my Wellingtons, and was walking all over the place. And just being with the, with the way it is, with the, with the rain, with the, with the rain gear, with the, with the colors and the mood and the, the way things are as, as one was feeling them. And there was peace. There's not creating a world onto it. There's no no longing to create any illusions or to make any demands or criticisms or anything about the way it is. But just being with it as is was a, a very peaceful, happy feeling, a feeling of, of being contented and at peace with it all. 
So just walking and, uh, and being grateful for having a nice pair of Wellingtons in a big raincoat and that it wasn't cold. So the, kind of the, the kind of unpleasantness that goes with, with uh, Janu- English, uh, January in England and rain, that was, none of that was there. there was, uh, it wasn't very cold today. So that the rain was more of a, a pleasant, gentle rain, and the lights, the 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 even uh, late afternoon, it gets the the color. There's hardly any color left. There's only the the uh, light and dark. To while you can't see color because there's not enough light on a cloudy day at four o'clock in the afternoon to distinguish colors very well. So there's just shades of light and dark. And if you're just with that, then it has its own beauty, its own, its own gift to offer. But if you're creating a world at that time, then you might not see it at all. You might not even notice. You think, oh, rain rains too much in England. <laughs> and then you think, oh, I've got so many problems, what should I do about this? And I'm, oh, la, 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 la. This person said that to me, and that monk did that, and then he shouldn't have the anagorica, and then the nuns, and then the, what do we do? And the, you know, the, about the rats, and what do we... <laughs> What do we do if the... So that, 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 then there's a world of worry and, and anxiety and all, you know, things. We might not get what we want and everything might fall apart and everything might go off and, and uh, you just, and, and then you wouldn't, it, and that kind of world then is what? It's, it's grief and it's despair and it's anguish. So just having the joy of, of, of walking in the rain and not being cold with a nice pair of Wellingtons and watching the, the, the colors disappear as the light fades and just observing the, the shades And the subtle beauty of all that, of just being, of, that's what being sensitive is. Sensitivity and consciousness, feeling, all this then are kind of wonderful gifts we have rather than they are conditions that delude our minds. As soon as you grasp it, then, then consciousness and feeling delude us. It's the grasping, isn't it? It's, you grasp the whatever, then you're deluded by it. But when you're just with the flow of life as is, and then, then one is, there's a, a sense of contentment and inner peace and being at ease. And you're not making problems, you're not creating a world fraught with difficulties and, and, and endless uh, anxieties and disappointments and duties and responsibilities and and all the stuff, the baggage, the burden that we can produce out of our minds to make ourselves totally miserable, not noticing the nice pair of Wellingtons you're wearing. And how nice it is to walk through puddles with your Wellington, <laughs> which you can't do when you're just wearing your sandals, get your socks wet. Which that's almost like being a child again, isn't it? And it's not being irresponsible because, there, in the sense that you're not dismissing anything, you're not just saying, "I want to live in a, in a kind of romantic." child's world again, but you're not creating a world 
a false world so that one can uh, not make problems where there aren't any. Uh, this afternoon there weren't, there's nothing, there are no problems around. So there, and, 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 and with mindfulness, there, there was no making of any problems. I'm quite good at making up problems everywhere. And I have done that good part of my life, of making complexities and difficulties out wherever I am about anything whatsoever. It's not that, that uh, I've always been able to do this, but it's through the reflection, contemplation of Dhamma that one really trusts in this, in this knowledge, the knowing of the Four Noble Truths. The knowledge, the insight into those truths and the, and the peace that comes from that. That's a, that's a refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Tomorrow is the uh, one part. So, so there won't be a morning meeting, morning chanting, and uh, but then this retreat is say this is a your you have a lot of time to practice on your own and to to uh, develop your practice and to contemplate Dhamma. So that you, I want to, to reassure you of the attitude of, of uh, being at ease and trusting in what you're doing not, and to not, not make problems about this retreat, not anticipate anything. And if you start anticipating or or dreading or fearing that something horrible is going to happen or you won't be able to stand it or, or whatever, then you can observe that as a, as a world you've created onto the situation because actually there's, there's, really, there's n- none of that as an external pressure on you. What, what is important for you is to, to realize you are trusted and respected beings who can, who can motivate yourself and develop your practice accordingly. You're not a bunch of sheep that need to be herded along or uh, children who need to be controlled and disciplined and held in line. And you're all in this life, this holy life, and you're, you have, you're here because of a level of maturity and ability to train yourself and to to develop and and uh, operate in the right way within your own uh, within your own life without someone pushing you along. The holy life, it's, it's not a matter of being pushed, but of being encouraged. So I offer all this encouragement to you. Sometimes we'd like somebody to push us, wouldn't we? But Observe that if you feel you need to be pushed by somebody else, that's something to observe as a, as a, as a view you have about yourself, that you, you can't do anything unless somebody's kind of putting you under pressure and forcing you in to, to, to get up in the morning and to do this and do that. Really, uh, you know, watch that if, if you feel that that's the kind of person you are. You can observe that that is, that's a view you have that arises and ceases in your mind. You're always with the right view. Don't believe the views 
and the ideas you have about yourself. They're always all wrong anyway. One thing I don't trust is, my, is the views I have about myself. A bunch of lies. There's something inside all of us that just lies, lies, lies <laughs> about ourselves. Not to be trusted at all. Now, I'm not saying you're a liar. <laughs> But there's something, something about the internal tyrant, aren't they? Those dreadful tyrants that go on in, that go off in our minds. Somehow they're always nagging or, or saying something dreadful about it. I suffered a lot. I had a lot of really dreadful tyrants, and I could never do anything right, and I was. And there's always something slightly off, and I should have done it better, and it shouldn't. And I thought, you know, in my lifetime, no one has ever treated me as rottenly or been so unrelentingly mean and nasty to me as, as these inner tyrants. I can't think of anybody, any person external to me. Uh, I mean, even, even the, the few that gave me problems here and there in my life. <laughs> they were never as unrelentingly mean and nasty as the inner tyrants that I've had to endure. The inner critics, the nagging judges, and they uh, can really uh, never give you a moment's peace if you don't know what they are. You've got to let the inner tyrants retire, not believe them, not, uh, not try to just get rid of them, because then that's another kind of tyrant. And that a tyrant, it's tyrannical to kill tyrants. Even if you want to kill off your tyrants, that's, that's another tyrant trying to kill a tyrant. <laughs> So don't, don't, uh, that's not the way to do it, but to just let them kind of die, their natural death. They, they, since they have arisen, they cease. God is not a tyrant. The Dhamma is not a tyrant. Ultimate reality is not a tyranny.